Chapter Three of the Prairie Traveller. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Prairie Traveller by Randolph B. Marcy. Chapter Three: Repairing Broken Wagons, Fording Rivers, Quicksand, Wagon Boats, Bull Boats, Crossing Packs, Swimming Animals, Marching with Loose Horses, Herding Mules, Best Method of Marching, Herding and Guarding Animals, Descending Mountains, Storms, Northers, Repairs of Accidents. The accidents most liable to happen to wagons on the plains arise from the great dryness of the atmosphere, and the consequent shrinkage and contraction of the woodwork in the wheels, the tires working loose, and the wheels in passing over sidling ground, oftentimes falling down and breaking all the spokes where they enter the hub. It therefore becomes a matter of absolute necessity for the prairie traveller to devise some means of repairing such damages, or of guarding against them by the use of timely expedients. The wheels should be frequently and closely examined and whenever a tire becomes at all loose it should at once be tightened with pieces of hoop-iron or wooden wedges driven by twos simultaneously from opposite sides another remedy for the same thing is to take off the wheels after encamping sink them in water and allow them to remain overnight this swells the wood but is only temporary requiring frequent repetition and after a time if the wheels have not been made of thoroughly seasoned timber it becomes necessary to reset the tires in order to guard against their destruction by falling to pieces and breaking the spokes if the tires run off near a blacksmith's shop, or if there be a travelling forge with the train, they may be tied on with rawhide or ropes, and thus driven to the shop or camp. When a rear wheel breaks down upon a march, the best method I know of for taking the vehicle to a place where it can be repaired is to take off the damaged wheel, and place a stout pole of three or four inches in diameter, under the end of the axle, outside the wagon-bed, and extending forward above the front wheel where it is firmly lashed with ropes, while the other end of the pole runs six or eight feet to the rear and drags upon the ground the pole must be of such length and inclination that the axle shall be raised and retained in its proper horizontal position when it can be driven to any distance that may be desired the wagon should be relieved as much as practicable of its loading as the pole dragging upon the ground will cause it to run heavily when a front wheel breaks down the expedient just mentioned cannot be applied to the front axle but the two rear wheels may be taken off and placed upon this axle they will always fit while the sound front wheel can be substituted upon one side of the rear axle, after which the pole may be applied as before described. This plan I have adopted upon several different occasions, and I can vouch for its efficacy. The foregoing facts may appear very simple and unimportant in themselves, but blacksmiths and wheelwrights are not met with at every turn of the roads upon the prairies, and in the wilderness, where the traveller is dependent solely upon his own resources, this kind of information will be found highly useful when the spokes in a wheel shrink more than the fellows they work loose on the hub and cannot be tightened by wedging the only remedy in such cases is to cut the fellow with a saw on opposite sides taking out two pieces of such dimensions that the reduced circumference will draw back the spokes into their proper place and make them snug a thin wagon-bow or barrel hoops may then be wrapped around the outside of the fellow and secured with small nails or tacks this increases the diameter of the wheel so that when the tire has been heated put on and cooled it forces back the spokes into their true places and makes the wheel as sound and strong as it ever was this simple process can be executed in about half an hour if there be fuel for heating and obviates the necessity of cutting and welding the tire i would recommend that the tires should be secured with bolts and nuts which will prevent them from running off when they work loose and if they have been cut and reset they should be well tried with a hammer where they are welded to make sure that the junction is sound fording rivers 
many streams that intersect the different routes across our continent are broad and shallow and flow over beds of quicksand which in seasons of high water become boggy and unstable and are then exceedingly difficult of crossing when these streams are on the rise and indeed before any swelling is perceptible their beds become surcharged with sand loosened by the action of the undercurrent from the approaching flood and from this time until the water subsides fording is difficult requiring great precautions on arriving upon the bank of a river of this character which has not been recently crossed the condition of the quicksand may be ascertained by sending an intelligent man over the fording-place and should the sand not yield under his feet it may be regarded as safe for animals or wagons should it however prove soft and yielding it must be thoroughly examined and the best track selected this can be done by a man on foot who will take a number of sharp sticks long enough when driven into the bottom of the river to stand above the surface of the water he starts from the shore and with one of the sticks and his feet tries the bottom in the direction of the opposite bank until he finds the firmest ground where he plants one of the sticks to mark the track a man incurs no danger in walking over quicksand provided he step rapidly and he will soon detect the safest ground he then proceeds planting his sticks as often as may be necessary to mark the way until he reaches the opposite bank the ford is thus ascertained and if there are footmen in the party they should cross before the animals and wagons as they pack the sand and make the track more firm and secure if the sand is soft horses should be led across and not allowed to stop in the stream and the better to ensure this they should be watered before entering upon the ford otherwise as soon as they stand still their feet sink in the sand and it soon becomes difficult to extricate them the same rule holds in the passage of wagons they must be driven steadily across and the animals never allowed to stop while in the river as the wheels sink rapidly in quicksand mules will often stop from fear and when once embarrassed in the sand they lie down and will not use the slightest exertion to regain their footing the only alternative then is to drag them out with ropes i have even known some mules refuse to put forth the least exertion to get up after being pulled out upon firm ground and it was necessary to set them upon their feet before they were restored to a consciousness of their own powers in crossing rivers where the water is so high as to come into the wagon beds but is not above a fording stage the contents of the wagons may be kept dry by raising the beds between the uprights and retaining them in that position with blocks of wood placed at each corner between the rockers and the bottom of the wagon beds the blocks must be squared at each end and their length of course should vary with the depth of water which can be determined before cutting them this is a very common and simple method of passing streams among emigrant travellers when streams are deep with a very rapid current it is difficult for the drivers to direct their teams to the proper coming-out places as the current has a tendency to carry them down too far this difficulty may be obviated by attaching a lariat rope to the leading animals and having a mounted man ride in front with the rope in his hand to assist the team in stemming the current and direct it towards the point of egress it is also a wise precaution if the ford be at all hazardous to place a mounted man on the lower side of the team with a whip to urge forward any animal that may not work properly where rivers are wide with a swift current they should always if possible be forded obliquely downstream as the action of the water against the wagons assists very materially in carrying them across in crossing the north platte upon the cherokee trail at a season when the water was high and very rapid we were obliged to take the only practicable ford which ran diagonally up the stream the consequence was that the heavy current coming down with great force against the wagons offered such powerful resistance to the efforts of the mules that it was with difficulty they could retain their footing and several were drowned had the ford crossed obliquely down the river there would have been no difficulty when it becomes necessary with loaded wagons to cross a stream of this character against the current i would recommend that the teams be doubled the leading animals led 
a horseman placed on each side with whips to assist the driver and that before the first wagon enters the water a man should be sent in advance to ascertain the best ford during seasons of high water men in traversing the plains often encounter rivers which rise above a fording stage and remain in that condition for many days and to await the falling of the water might involve a great loss of time if the traveller be alone his only way is to swim his horse but if he retains the seat on his saddle his weight presses the animal down into the water and cramps his movements very sensibly it is a much better plan to attach a cord to the bridle bit and drive him into the stream then seizing his tail allow him to tow you across if he turns out of the course or attempts to turn back he can be checked with the cord or by splashing water at his head if the rider remains in the saddle he should allow the horse to have a loose rein and never pull upon it except when necessary to guide if he wishes to steady himself he can lay a hold upon the mane in travelling with large parties the following expedients for crossing rivers have been successfully resorted to within my own experience and they are attended with no risk of life or property a rapid and deep stream with high abrupt and soft banks probably presents the most formidable array of unfavourable circumstances that can be found streams of this character are occasionally met with and it is important to know how to cross them with the greatest promptitude and safety a train of wagons having arrived upon the banks of such a stream first select the best point for the passage where the banks upon both sides require the least excavation for a place of ingress and egress to and from the river as i have before remarked the place of entering the river should be above the coming-out place on the opposite bank as the current will then assist in carrying wagons and animals across a spot should be sought where the bed of the stream is firm at the place where the animals are to get out on the opposite bank if however no such place can be found brush and earth should be thrown in to make a foundation sufficient to support the animals and to prevent them from bogging after the place for crossing has been selected it will be important to determine the breadth of the river between the points of ingress and egress in order to show the length of rope necessary to reach across a very simple practical method of doing this without instruments is found in the french manuel de genie it is as follows the line a b the distance to be measured is extended upon the bank to d from which point after having marked it off lay off equal distances d c and c lowercase d produce b c to lowercase b making c b equal to c lowercase b then extend the line lowercase d lowercase b until it intersects the prolongation of the line through c a at lowercase a the distance between lowercase a lowercase b is equal to a b or the width of the crossing a man who is an expert swimmer then takes the end of a fishing line or a small cord in his mouth and carries it across leaving the other end fixed upon the opposite bank after which a lariat is attached to the cord and one end of it pulled across and made fast to a tree but if there is nothing convenient to which the lariat can be attached an extra axle or coupling pole can be pulled over by the man who has crossed firmly planted in the ground and the rope tied to it the rope must be long enough to extend twice across the stream so that one end may always be left on each shore a very good substitute for a ferry-boat may be made with a wagon-bed by filling it with empty water-casks stopped tight and secured in the wagon with ropes with a cask lashed opposite the centre of each outside it is then placed in the water bottom upward and the rope that has been stretched across the stream attached to one end of it while another rope is made fast to the other end after which it is loaded the shore end loosened and the men on the opposite bank pull it across to the landing where it is discharged and returned for another load and so on until all the baggage and men are passed over the wagons can be taken across by fastening them down to the axles 
attaching a rope to the end of the tongue and another to the rear of each to steady it and hold it from drifting below the landing it is then pushed into the stream and the men on the opposite bank pull it over i have passed a large train of wagons in this way across a rapid stream fifteen feet deep without any difficulty i took at the same time a six-pounder cannon which was separated from its carriage and ferried over upon the wagon-boat after which the carriage was pulled over in the same way as described for the wagons there are not always a sufficient number of air-tight water-casks to fill a wagon-bed but a tent-fly pollen or wagon-cover can generally be had in this event the wagon-bed may be placed in the centre of one of these the cloth brought up around the ends and sides and secured firmly with ropes tied around transversely and another rope fastened lengthwise around under the rim this holds the cloth in its place and the wagon may then be placed in the water right side upward and managed in the same manner as in the other case if the cloth be made of cotton it will soon swell so as to leak but very little and answer a very good purpose another method of ferrying streams is by means of what is called by the mountaineers a bull-boat the framework of which is made of willows bent into the shape of a boat and wide skiff with a flat bottom willows grow upon the banks of almost all the streams on the prairies and can be bent into any shape desired to make a boat with but one hide a number of straight willows are cut about an inch in diameter the ends sharpened and driven into the ground forming a framework in the shape of a half egg shell cut through the longitudinal axis where these rods cross they are firmly secured with strings a stout rod is then heated and bent around the frame in such a position that the edges of the hide when laid over it and drawn tight will just reach it this rod forms the gunwale which is secured by strings to the ribs small rods are then waddled in so as to make it symmetrical and strong after which the green or soaked hide is thrown over the edges sewn to the gunwales and left to dry the rods are then cut off even with the gunwale and the boat is ready for use to build a boat with two or more hides a stout pole of the desired length is placed upon the ground for a keel the ends turned up and secured by a lariat willow rods of the required dimensions are then cut heated and bent into the proper shape for knees after which their centres are placed at equal distances upon the keel and firmly tied with cords the knees are retained in their proper curvature by cords around the ends after a sufficient number of them have been placed upon the keel two poles of suitable dimensions are heated bent around the ends for a gunwale and firmly lashed to each knee smaller willows are then interwoven so as to model the frame green or soaked hides are cut into the proper shape to fit the frame and sewed together with buckskin strings then the frame of the boat is placed in the middle the hide drawn up snug around the sides and secured with rawhide thongs to the gunwale the boat is then turned bottom upward and left to dry after which the seams where they have been sewed are covered with a mixture of melted tallow and pitch the craft is now ready for launching a boat of this kind is very light and serviceable but after a while becomes water-soaked and should always be turned bottom upward to dry whenever it is not in the water two men can easily build a bull-boat of three hides in two days which will carry ten men with perfect safety a small party travelling with a pack-train and arriving upon the banks of a deep stream will not always have the time to stop or the means to make any of the boats that have been described should their luggage be such as to become seriously injured by a wedding and there be an india-rubber or gutta-percha cloth disposable or if even a green beef or buffalo hide can be procured it may be spread out upon the ground and the articles of baggage placed in the centre in a square or rectangular form the ends and sides are then brought up so as to entirely envelop the package and the whole secured with ropes or rawhide it is then placed in the water with a rope attached to one end and towed across by men in the same manner as the boats before described if hides be used they will require greasing occasionally to prevent their becoming water-soaked 
when a mounted party with pack animals arrive upon the borders of a rapid stream too deep to ford and where the banks are high and abrupt with perhaps but one place where the beasts can get out upon the opposite shore it would not be safe to drive or ride them in calculating that all will make the desired landing some of them will probably be carried by the swift current too far down the stream and thereby endanger not only their own lives but the lives of their riders i have seen the experiment tried repeatedly and i have known several animals to be carried by this current below the point of egress and thus drowned here is a simple safe and expeditious method of taking animals over such a stream suppose for example a party of mounted men arrive upon the bank of the stream there will always be some good swimmers in the party and probably others who cannot swim at all three or four of the most expert of these are selected and sent across with one end of a rope made of lariats tied together while the other end is retained upon the first bank and made fast to the neck of a gentle and good swimming horse after which another gentle horse is brought up and made fast by a lariat around his neck to the tail of the first and so on until all the horses are thus tied together the men who cannot swim are then mounted upon the best swimming horses and tied on otherwise they are liable to become frightened lose their balance and be carried away in a rapid current or a horse may stumble and throw his rider after the horses have been strung out in a single line by their riders and everything is in readiness the first horse is led carefully into the water while the men on the opposite bank pulling upon the rope thus direct him across and if necessary aid him in stemming the current as soon as this horse strikes bottom he pulls upon those behind him and thereby assists them in making the landing and in this manner all are passed over in perfect safety driving loose horses in travelling with loose horses across the plains some persons are in the habit of attaching them in pairs by their halters to a long stout rope stretched between two wagons drawn by mules each wagon being about half loaded the principal object of the rear wagon being to hold back and keep the rope stretched not more than two stout mules are required as the horses aid a good deal with their heads in pulling this wagon from thirty to forty horses may be driven very well in this manner and if they are wild it is perhaps the safest method except that of leading them with halters by men riding beside them the rope to which the horses are attached should be about an inch and a quarter in diameter with loops or rings inserted at intervals sufficient to admit the horses without allowing them to kick each other and the halter straps tied to these loops the horses on first starting should have men by their sides to accustom them to this manner of being led the wagons should be so driven as to keep the rope continually stretched good drivers must be assigned to these wagons who will constantly watch the movements of the horses attached as well as their own teams i have had a hundred and fifty loose horses driven by ten mounted herdsmen this requires great care for some considerable time until the horses become gentle and accustomed to their herders it is important to ascertain as soon as possible after starting which horses are wild and may be likely to stampede and lead off the herd such should be led and never suffered to run loose either on the march or in camp animals of this character will soon indicate their propensities and can be secured during the first days of the march it is desirable that all animals that will not stampede when not working should run loose on a march as they pick up a good deal of grass along the road when travelling and the success of an expedition when animals get no other forage but grass depends in a great degree upon the time given them for grazing they will thrive much better when allowed a free range than when picketed as they then are at liberty to select such grass as suits them it may therefore be set down as an infallible rule never to be departed from that all animals excepting such as will be likely to stampede should be turned loose for grazing immediately after arriving at the camping-place but it is equally important that they should be carefully herded as near the camp as good grass will admit and those that it is necessary to picket should be placed upon the best grass and their places changed often 
the ropes to which they are attached should be about forty feet long the picket pins of iron fifteen inches long with ring and swivel at the top so that the rope shall not twist as the animal feeds around it and the pins must be firmly driven into tenacious earth animals should be herded during the day at such distances as to leave sufficient grass undisturbed around and near the camp for grazing through the night method of marching among men of limited experience in frontier life will be found a great diversity of opinion regarding the best methods of marching and of treating animals in expeditions upon the prairies some will make late starts and travel during the heat of the day without nooning while others will start early and make two marches laying by during the middle of the day some will picket their animals continually in camp while others will herd them day and night etc for mounted troops or indeed for any body of men travelling with horses and mules a few general rules may be specified which have the sanction of mature experience and a deviation from them will inevitably result in consequences highly detrimental to the best interests of an expedition in ordinary marches through a country where grass and water are abundant and good animals receiving proper attention should not fall away even if they receive no grain and as i said before they should not be made to travel faster than a walk unless absolutely necessary neither should they be taken off the road for the purpose of hunting or chasing buffalo as one buffalo chase injures them more than a week of moderate riding in the vicinity of hostile indians the animals must be carefully herded and guarded within protection of the camp while those picketed should be changed as often as the grass is eaten off within the circle described by the tether rope at night they should be brought within the chain of sentinels and picketed as compactly as is consistent with the space needed for grazing and under no circumstances unless the indians are known to be near and an attack is to be expected should they be tied up to a picket line where they can get no grass unless allowed to graze at night they will fall away rapidly and soon become unserviceable it is much better to march after nightfall turn some distance off the road and to encamp without fires in a depressed locality where the indians cannot track the party and the animals may be picketed without danger in descending abrupt hills and mountains one wheel of a loaded wagon should always be locked as this relieves the wheel animals and makes everything more secure when the declivity is great both rear wheels should be locked and if very abrupt requiring great effort on the wheel animals to hold the wagon the wheels should be rough locked by lengthening the lock chain so that the part which goes around the wheels will come directly upon the ground and thus create more friction occasionally however hills are met with so nearly perpendicular that it becomes necessary to attach ropes to the rear axle and to station men to hold back upon them and steady the vehicle down the descent rough locking is a very safe method of passing heavy artillery down abrupt declivities there are several mountains between the missouri river and california where it is necessary to resort to one of the two last-mentioned methods in order to descend with security if there are no lock chains upon the wagons the front and rear wheels on the same side may be tied together with ropes so as to lock them very firmly it is an old and well-established custom among men experienced in frontier life always to cross a stream upon which it is intended to encamp for the night and this rule should never be departed from where a stream is to be forded as a rise during the night might detain the traveller for several days in awaiting the fall of the waters storms in western texas during the autumn and winter months storms arise very suddenly and when accompanied by a north wind are very severe upon men and animals indeed they are sometimes so terrific as to make it necessary for travellers to hasten to the nearest sheltered place to save the lives of their animals when these storms come from the north they are called northers 
and as during the winter season the temperature often undergoes a sudden change of many degrees at the time the storm sets in the perspiration is checked and the system receives an instantaneous shock against which it requires great vital energy to bear up men and animals are not in this mild climate prepared for these capricious meteoric revolutions and they not infrequently perish under their effects while passing near the headwaters of the colorado in october eighteen forty nine i left one of my camps at an early hour in the morning under a mild and soft atmosphere with a gentle breeze from the south but had marched only a short distance when the wind suddenly whipped around to the north bringing with it a furious chilling rain and in a short time the road became so soft and heavy as to make the labor of pulling the wagons over it very exhausting upon the mules and they came into camp in a profuse sweat with the rain pouring down in torrents upon them they were turned out of harness into the most sheltered places that could be found but instead of eating as was their custom they turned their heads from the wind and remained in that position chilled and trembling without making the least effort to move the rain continued with unabated fury during the entire day and night and on the following morning thirty-five out of one hundred and ten mules had perished while those remaining could hardly be said to have had a spark of vitality left they were drawn up with the cold and could with difficulty walk tents and wagon covers were cut up to protect them and they were then driven about for some time until a little vital energy was restored after which they commenced eating grass but it was three or four days before they recovered sufficiently to resume the march the mistake i made was in driving the mules after the norther commenced had i gone immediately into camp before they became heated and wearied they would probably have eaten the grass and this i have no doubt would have saved them but as it was their blood became heated from overwork and the sudden chill brought on a reaction which proved fatal if an animal will eat his forage plentifully there is but little danger of his perishing with cold this i assert with much confidence as i once when travelling with about fifteen hundred horses and mules encountered the most terrific snowstorm that has been known within the memory of the oldest mountaineers it commenced on the last day of april and continued without cessation for sixty consecutive hours the day had been mild and pleasant the green grass was about six inches high the trees had put out their new leaves and all nature conspired to show that the sombre garb of winter had been permanently superseded by the smiling attire of spring about dark however the wind turned into the north it commenced to snow violently and increased until it became a frightful tempest filling the atmosphere with a dense cloud of driving snow against which it was impossible to ride or walk soon after the storm set in one herd of three hundred horses and mules broke away from the herdsmen who were around them and in spite of all their efforts ran at full speed directly with the wind and snow for fifty miles before they stopped three of the herdsmen followed them as far as they were able but soon became exhausted and lost on the prairie one of them was found on his way back to camp in a strait of great prostration and suffering one of the others was found dead and the third crawling about upon his hands and knees after the storm ceased it happened fortunately that i had reserved a quantity of corn to be used in the event of finding a scarcity of grass and as soon as the ground became covered with snow so that the animals could not get at the grass i fed out the corn which i am induced to believe saved their lives indeed they did not seem to be at all affected by this prolonged and unseasonable tempest this occurred upon the summit of the elevated ridge dividing the waters of the arkansas and south platte rivers where storms are said to be of frequent occurrence the greater part of the animals that stampeded were recovered after the storm and although they had travelled a hundred miles at a very rapid pace they did not seem to be much affected by it End of chapter three